hear the word of God. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty God, you are the maker of heaven and earth. You are the Lord of all times and all places. But you have appointed to your people to separate one day out of seven as a Sabbath, that it would be holy, that it would be for your worship. And we thank you for the Sabbath, which sets the rhythm of our week. And we pray that in this day and in this hour, we would step back from the busyness of the world, from the concerns of ordinary life, and that we may for this hour meditate upon things which are everlasting. Lord, we confess that we spend most of our time and most of our energy and most of our money thinking about and investing in things that are passing away. We pray that for this hour, we might think about and invest in things which are for eternity. Lord God, we have stepped out in faith this day to meet here with your people together around your word. Lord Jesus, you have promised that wherever two or more are gathered in your name that you would be there also. And so we welcome you here in Huntington Valley. We pray now that as we look at your word that your Holy Spirit might open it up for us, that it might make sense to us, that it might fly straight and true, and that it might find root in our heart. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We live in a curious uh, age, in a curious time. It's not unknown in the history of the world, but we live in an unusually skeptical time, a time in which a trust in truth is really at an all-time low. This isn't uh, something that has only occurred one time in the history of the world. There have been other cycles uh, in trust in truth. We happen to be at an ebb point in this moment. I was in graduate school in the 1980s and the 1990s, and during that period, uh, a style of thinking, a style of philosophy known as postmodernism was all the rage, was very much in fashion. 
Maybe you've heard about postmodernism. It's hard to define because it's by its very nature very amorphous, but in general, postmodernism teaches that there is no truth with a capital T, that there's my truth and there's your truth, there's the truth of white people and there's the truth of black people, there is straight truth and there is gay truth, there is Western truth and there is non-Western truth, but none of these truths can claim to be exclusively true. There are no meta-narratives that are overarching. I think, having lived through that period, by the way, postmodernism is now falling out of fashion, like all things that come into fashion, they do pass away at some point, but the, the effects uh, linger with us. Uh, I think the spirit of postmodernism is, in a certain sense, a deadly version of what we call classical liberalism. And by liberalism, I mean the political philosophy of Thomas Jefferson, a belief in freedom of speech, a recognition of personal liberties and privacy rights. It's the opposite of totalitarianism, which says that you must agree with me, or if you don't, I'll send you off to a gulag, or I will deplatform you. I think out of this spirit of classical liberalism, which is very much the spirit of this country, has grown a more virulent uh, philosophy called postmodernism. I think postmodernism arises when you discover that there is no room for you or for your kind, that there is no place in the institution for you, so you decide to just blow up the whole institution. If my truth doesn't get uh, a voice, then I'm just going to deny that there is the possibility of truth. By the way, the last time in Western history when we faced such a low opinion of truth was during the time of the Counter-Reformation. One of the things that happened during the Reformation was uh, the teaching that it was possible, using human reason, uh, to study Scripture and that regular people could study and understand the Bible. The Catholic Church's reaction to this was to undermine the claims of reason so that people wouldn't trust their own reading of Scripture. And there was, as a result of that, more broadly speaking in Western culture, a tremendous skepticism uh, that persisted for quite some time. I think that where we find ourselves now is in this curious position that we refuse to believe anything that doesn't make me feel good about myself. If this test or if this standard or if this principle or if this philosophy doesn't say that I am right and that I am beautiful and that I am entitled, then the whole thing must be wrong, that the test must be wrong or the standard must be wrong or the principle must be wrong. If the referee doesn't call the game in the way that I win, then he must be a bad referee. If the teacher does not give me an A on the assignment, she must be a bad teacher. If these journalists do not agree with my program, they must be fake news. If this election says I didn't win, then the election must have been rigged. If this cop says that I was doing something wrong, he must be crooked. 
And if the Bible says that I'm a sinner, then the Bible must be false. All of these are in the spirit of postmodernism. The only standard of truth within postmodernism is me. If I agree with it, it must be true. If it makes me look good, it must be true. If it makes me feel good, it must be true. If it makes me rich, it must be good. If it lets me do what I want, it must be good. Now, those of you who have had children know that every child is born a postmodernist. Every child comes into this world with the remarkable capacity to apply the law to other people, but to reject the law when it applies to themselves. You'll notice that children are very scrupulous about sharing when the sharing's coming their way, and they're very unscrupulous when they need to share themselves. It's bad for children to be that way, and part of civilizing our kids and part of making them responsible adults is teaching them that, you know, just because it doesn't make you happy doesn't mean that it isn't true. Part of becoming an adult is submitting to standards of authority which are outside of ourselves. Now, some of you also know that not all kids grow up. They might grow older, but they don't necessarily grow up. And sometimes we meet people who are adults but still have the, the, the heart and the mind of children. We call them criminals. You'll notice that criminals are happy to steal your stuff, but they're very unhappy if you steal from them. All right. Sometimes we call these people sociopaths. Sociopaths deny any truth that does not affirm themselves. There are more innocent biases that we have as human beings. There may be like a biological basis to uh, these biases. Uh, You've probably heard a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of uh, conversation recently about something called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is uh, this capacity of our brains to notice any example that supports a belief that we already have. I had a girlfriend in college, and uh, when she was a kid, she was convinced that there was some connection between the day Friday and the smelling of skunks. Now, it had started when she was quite young because one day she was out riding with her family and there must have been a skunk that got squashed on the road and she smelled it and she associated it with Friday. And then for a very long time after that, she would notice that, you know, I'm always smelling a skunk on a Friday. We're out driving around with the family and I'm smelling a skunk. And so in her mind, she had associated the smelling of the skunk with the day Friday. I trust there's probably no actual empirical connection between those two things. My guess is what happened is that every time it happened on a Friday, she went, see, it always happens on a Friday. And when it happened on a Tuesday, she was like, well, that, you know, that's the exception. Okay, that's called confirmation bias. We all have that. Somehow our brains are wired, in, wired that way. There's also something that I call the Lake Wobegon bias. You all remember Garrison Keillor's uh, town where all the kids are above average. Those of you who passed 
uh, mathematics in high school know that it's not possible for all the kids to be above average. If you survey people, however, about their driving habits, most people report that they are a better than average driver, which mathematically doesn't work out. I've also uh, uh, read a study that said that, you know, many Americans believe that, uh, you know, public education is going to hell in a handbasket, except for our school. We've got a good school in our town. Okay, this is, I call this the Lake Wobegon bias. One of the problems with biases and one of the problems with having a postmodern mindset is, well, first of all, we're stuck in a world where there is no truth. We also have the inability to get a clear view of who it is that we are. It is a true friend who will hold up a mirror to you and let you know how you look, who will reveal any problems in your character or in your dress that need to be addressed. It is not a friend who simply affirms you the way you are. I've been thinking about Mr. Putin, you know, the tyrant over there in Russia. He has surrounded himself by yes men. No one can disagree with Mr. Putin. And as a result, he is not well advised. A sane leader, a healthy leader, and actually a leader who will remain strong over time is a leader who is willing to listen to people who might disagree with him sometimes. All of us need people in our lives who are going to be able to challenge us and are going to be able to hold up a mirror to us and say this is how we are. The Bible is very clear that there is truth with a capital T. There is eternal truth. There is truth that is true whether or not you believe it. There is something. There are things that are true in the past and they will be true in the future. They are true uh, for every culture in every place and in any time. They are absolutely true and they have their origin in God himself. God himself is the source of truth because God himself is the source of the universe. He made the universe. It has a certain form. It has a certain order. That order derives from God's own order. And God's word is truth too. God reveals his character and his design for our lives and for the world by speaking the word to us. Now, he has spoken to us in many different ways over many different years. He spoke to us through the prophets in, the, in, in times past. He spoke through Jesus uh, in more recent times. He speaks through the apostles. He speaks through the word of God. And we have God's intentional revelation to us as the truth. One of the problems with Scripture and one of the Reasons that there are people who reject what it is that Scripture teaches is, is that Scripture reveals that we're not quite so great as we think we are. And we don't like that. And there are some people who are willing to say, well, if the Bible doesn't say that I'm perfect, then the Bible must be wrong. The word of God insists that people are grass and like the grass, they will pass away, but the word of God will 
be forever. This passage that we read in 1 John is dealing with a problem in the churches that John oversees during his time, and it's during a time before the canon of Scripture has been completed. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but uh, a lot of these passages that we read uh, from the New Testament are written at a time before the New Testament was completed. We believe what we believe as Christians because Jesus taught it, and he taught it to his apostles, and then his apostles taught the church. Okay, Our faith is an apostolic faith. Our church is an apostolic church. It's built on the teaching of the apostles. Well, all of the teaching of the apostles wasn't written down right away. It took some time. It took some time for it to get written down. And this letter of 1 John is written during a time when all of the New Testament is not yet written down. And there are people who've gone out and they're preaching to the church, but they're not preaching the truth. They're false prophets, we're told. Verse 2 of what we read said this, By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now there was this difficulty in the early church that there were some people who thought that, you know, they thought that Jesus was divine, They believed that Jesus was from God, but they said, you know, he's not really human because, you know, after all, how could God, uh, how could, how could a human die and come back to life? And so the physical nature of Jesus was denied. The spiritual nature was upheld, but the physical nature of Jesus was denied. That the physical nature of Jesus that we saw was something like a puppet or something like that, but it wasn't really wasn't really Jesus. And so John is warning the, uh, the church about people who were preaching this doctrine, that, a doctrine that denies the full humanity of Jesus. And he does it by lifting up the standard of what the apostles had taught before. Now for us living uh, centuries afterward, we have the full teaching of the apostles. It's been uh, inscripturated for us in the Bible. It becomes our standard. And when we are evaluating whether or not a teaching is a true teaching or a false teaching, we don't evaluate it whether or not we like it or whether or not it appeals to me or whether or not it makes me look good, but we evaluate it about based upon whether or not it's what the apostles taught. Okay? So the church, in a sense, is simply always passing on the teaching that was given initially by the apostles. John, of course, uh, during this time could not, have a, could, could not have appealed to the whole of the New Testament canon because the New Testament canon doesn't exist, but he appeals to one of the foundational teachings within the New Testament canon, which is going on there. Like one of the reasons that we ended up uh, needing to leave our former denomination was that they had uh, detached the teaching of the denomination from the scriptures and instead said that it had to do with some kind of new revelation that was happening. Church is always in a very dangerous position when it detaches its teaching from the received teaching of the church. This past week, how many of you went to the fall festival, by the way? Did any of you go to the fall festival? I'm very disappointed that I didn't get to go. I was out on the West Coast. I had a a family funeral to attend. 
apparently it was great. I heard it was like the best ever. There was like a huge crowd, like more than 300 people uh, were there. The Brazilian barbecue was going. They had that uh, going and they, uh, I guess it, was, it tasted really great. Um, I was very pleased at the ability for Huntington Valley Presbyterian Church and Fellowship Presbyterian Church to work together and cooperate on that. We also got good cooperation from Valley Christian School. There were a lot of people who were uh, involved. Maybe some of you were involved in the work of that. John Haynes uh, was kind of the, the, the big organizer uh, of that and, and did a ton of work to, to get all of that together. So I thought that, w- that was really a, a wonderful day. If you took pictures of it and you have some that you can send me, please send, send me pictures. I, I, I didn't get to see it, so I'm feeling a little jealous. This past week, we had a very important uh, meeting of the session, um, and I just want to talk about some of the conversations that we had uh, on the session. The first thing that we talked about on the session is uh, how we're going to be moving forward in in 2023. We've talked uh, in, in the congregation in the past about the stumble that we made in 2018. We were getting ready to uh, undertake a project in the church that would have uh, increased the uh, areas that we had available for children's ministry, and uh, and somehow that that project. Uh, didn't come across the finish line. Uh, we lost a number of families uh, as a result of, of that poor decision. That was in 2018, and then in 2019, we began to feel the effects of that. And then in 2020, we got slammed with the whole COVID thing. And for these past two years, both with the COVID thing and with the George Floyd troubles, uh, people in the churches have been feeling really kind of uh, exhausted and brutalized and traumatized. It's been a very, a very tough time uh, in the life of this church and running the church uh, with slimmer staffing has become, was more, more complicated. In many ways, I feel like we're in a new era now. I feel like we're in that time after the storm has gone through, you know, the the hurricane has blown through and it's destroyed some things, uh, and then you you wake up the morning after and the sky is clear and you have to figure out, well, what are we going to do now? The results of the COVID uh, pandemic are, uh, are... tragic in a way that I don't think the American church has yet fully understood. The data is a little bit hard to get. The figures that I'm seeing is roughly 40% reduction in average attendance in an American church as before and after COVID. The very, I think maybe it was the first week or the second week of, uh, of the COVID pandemic, I remember saying to the, to the congregation, you know, if the devil wanted to invent uh, a secret weapon to destroy the church, he couldn't invent anything better than a virus that kept people apart because the church is all about being together. Millions of people died because of the COVID pandemic. I'm also concerned about the millions of souls that are being lost in eternity because our churches have dwindled as a result of this pandemic. There's been a fundamental shift in American culture. This is a new era in the church which we have to simply deal with and recognize that this is where we are. What we're going to do uh, in light of this reality is really go back to the basics. We're going to go back to what it is that works uh, in the life of a church 
um, and which, what was working uh, in the life of this church uh, during the time when we were moving forward. The first 13 years that I was here in this congregation, we grew every year. Uh, we, not a lot, but each year we got a little bit bigger and a little bit younger, and the future looked hopeful. Um, and we did that really by focusing on two things. Number one, by focusing on the quality of the worship service. When people come to church and visit the church service, you basically get one opportunity for them to decide whether or not this is the place they want to be. And that means that the church service each time uh, and the, the experience from the parking lot uh, through the whole service needs to be one that is uh, solid and biblical and joyful and grace-filled. It needs to be one where they leave that service saying, you know, that was great and I really want to come back next week. And not only do I want to come back next week, but I want to uh, invite others to come back next week. And so we're, we're going to refocus on uh, making sure that we have a quality uh, in, in the worship service. The second thing that's absolutely crucial for the growth of the church is that we take care of families with young children. When families with young children arrive here, the, the things that they need need to be in place for them. Uh, and we need to uh, refocus uh, our attentions on, on that. To grow the church, we must grow it uh, with young families who are coming in. They're always the next generation. I think also we have to recommit ourselves to flexibility and to adaptability. Sometimes we get stuck on doing things a certain way and the circumstances have changed and so we're unable to make the adjustments uh, that we need. So we talked about some of these things uh, on this session. The second thing that we did uh, at that session meeting was that we received 51 new members. Uh, you know, Fellowship Presbyterian Church is in this process of uh, becoming a church within the EPC. Uh, Fellowship Presbyterian Church does not actually exist as a church at this point. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a hoped for destination. Um, and so uh, the people who have been uh, active parts of that church or who've been functioning as members were formally received uh, in this congregation uh, as the part of the process of their being Presbyterianized. And when that day comes that they will, uh, you know, uh, move to another location, uh, those people will then uh, be dismissed. So that was uh, wonderful and encouraging to see uh, the growth that's going on uh, in Fellowship Presbyterian Church. I uh, continue to appreciate how well we, the two of our churches, are working together and are strengthening uh, one another. The other decision that the session took at the, at the meeting this past week was that during Advent uh, and for Christmas, we're going to have one combined service. We're going to bring both of the services together uh, and have a larger service. Uh, the holidays are times when we like to get together uh, anyway. Uh, the holidays are a time when we share these traditions across generations. And so having uh, everyone together in the same room, I think, is going to allow for that to happen uh, in a really sweet way. That service is going to start at 1045 uh, and will run till noon. And then Sunday school will happen before it beginning uh, at, at 930. The, our goal in having that combined service during those five weeks is 
that we're going to do just a really terrific job. We're going to be asking a lot of you to be helping out. There are a number of little things that uh, are required to uh, uh, be done that sort of make the experience of coming here on a Sunday morning seamless. There are a lot of people who are at work during the course of the week to make Sunday morning possible for you, and we'll be asking you uh, to be uh, helpful in that way. If you... um, if you've thought about jumping in on the choir, this would be a great time to jump in on the choir as well. Um, we'll be singing every week during Advent and also on Christmas Sunday, so that'll be uh, an extra amount of fun. I also heard a very good report this past week from the nominating committee. They've been uh, talking with people. Maybe they talked with some of you uh, looking for elders and deacons uh, for the coming class. Uh, my understanding is they actually have too many which is a very good position to be in. Uh, so the session will uh, be talking about that and how we'll, how we'll uh, uh, manage that. Um, that. The congregational meeting uh, is November 13th, uh, and so I would encourage you to be there. It'll, it'll happen after this service, like at 12.30 on November 13th. November 13th is also the Sunday when at the 5 o'clock service here, uh, we're going to have the installation of Pastor Bruno as our assistant uh, pastor. That's a a service of the Presbytery, so folks from Presbytery will be there, and we'll have the Portuguese church there, and we'll have the English church there, and we're going to be uh, all together. My hope is, is that 20... 23 is going to be a year of really moving forward and and accelerating the growth of this church. We've had a very, very tough four years, and I think a lot of us are feeling a little weary and traumatized by it. But all of the signs are very good that we're ready to turn the corner on this and begin to grow this thing again I'm looking forward to having a very, very strong uh, session and board of deacons this year. By the way, the deacons have been doing uh, unbelievably good work uh, in the life of the church uh, these past uh, few years, and we're looking forward to them continuing to serve the church uh, in new and in strong ways. God has blessed us in this church by sustaining us through this past time, but also through past decades, past 160 years. God will continue to bless us in this church uh, as we uh, are a beacon for the gospel here in Huntington Valley. Uh, I am happy to be able to share this ministry with you, and I'm looking forward to uh, what God is going to be doing uh, in the life of this church uh, in the years ahead. I want to ask you at this time to open your hymnals because I want us in, in, the, in the front of uh, you'll see the Apostles' Creed. I want us to use the Apostles' Creed this morning as our affirmation of faith. Uh, You know, during the life of the church, at different periods, the church has written statements to say what are the essential things that we believe as Christians. And The Apostles' Creed, of course, is the earliest one of these. These are things that we believe as Christians regardless of our denominations. And anybody who denies any of these things, uh, we we cannot uh, call a Christian. But when we think about the bedrock of our faith, I think we can think about this creed. So why don't you, uh, well, you can remain seated while we we read this. Please uh, read it with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we call on you this day and we begin by offering you our thanks by saying that we are grateful to you for the riches and for the blessings that you have poured into our lives. We thank you for the health that allowed us to be out and about this day. We thank you for the security of our homes and our neighborhoods uh, that allow us to live in, in relative freedom. Father God, we thank you for this church and for the faithfulness of this church. We pray that you continue to sustain the work of this ministry uh, this year and all the years forward. We thank you for the leaders that you have called into service in this church, our deacons and our elders, our Sunday school teachers and our many volunteers. Lord, we pray that as they are busy blessing other people that they would feel blessed. I pray that their labors uh, on behalf of the church would not be burdensome for them, but that, would, that they would be uh, a pleasure, that they would enjoy the work that they do uh, in, the, in the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless each one of them and continue to strengthen them and fill them with your spirit. Lord, we pray for this new class of elders and deacons who are being prepared even now. We pray that you would uh, give them wisdom and insight into the calling that you have placed on their lives. We thank you for the nominating committee for being so diligent and speaking with people and with identifying uh, the people that you are calling into your work. We pray that in all of these things that uh, we would be deepened in our uh, walk with you and that we would be uh, strengthening our church and that we would bring, be bringing you honor and glory. Lord, for those of our numbers who are not able to be here this morning because of health, we pray that uh, you would uh, anoint them, that you would strengthen them, that you would make them strong in their body and in their spirit. We pray that the fellowship of this church would not be diminished uh, even though people are not able to be out. Lord, I pray that we would be in touch with one another and in contact uh, even uh, when we're separated by sickness. Lord, I do lift up before you a Naomi Trask, and I ask that you would heal her body and remove this cancer from her. Lord, I thank you for bringing her through her uh, chemotherapy. I just pray that the way ahead would also uh, be smooth. Father God, you have been good to us, and you are good in your own nature. And for these things, we praise your name. And we offer all of these prayers in the name of Jesus who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. Amen, amen, amen.